Welcome to the Epidemic Belfast podcast. I'm Rebecca Watterson, a researcher on the project and a PhD candidate at Ulster University. Epidemic Belfast is a public history and medical humanities initiative from Ulster University. It aims to map changing experience of infection and disease for individuals and communities in a unique urban environment, Belfast from the 19th century to the present day. On today's podcast, I am interviewing Dr. Ian Miller, lecturer at Ulster University. Ian, thank you so much for joining us. Could you please tell us about the topic you will be discussing today? Thank you, Rebecca. Um, A few years ago, I was researching how the Irish diet changed after the famine. And I came across many references, particularly from the 1870s to around 1900, of complaints about excessive tea drinking and the physical and mental problems which this appeared to be causing, particularly in urban areas such as Belfast. And to give one example, in 1872, a lady wrote to the Freeman's Journal, a Dublin-based newspaper, and she reported that she took shelter in a cottage near Banbridge some time ago during a shower of rain and noticed a teapot on the hob. And she observed that tea stewed all day long and did a great deal of harm. She recounted discussing with a woman who lived in the cottage that the parish doctor had mentioned that the folks were killing themselves with tea and that it was causing him more work and trouble than anything else. And the lady also goes on to talk about people in her neighbourhood suffering from ticks. And she reported that this was a disease often caused by excessive tea drinking. And so we can see here the lots of curious references to the health consequence of drinking tea, which of course today seems like a harmless substance to us. The famine brought an end to the hazardous potato diet. So why did nutrition become a problem after the famine? Well, after the famine, of course, people stopped relying quite so much on the potato as a dietary staple in Ireland. But of course, one problem was that the potato is a really healthy, nutritious thing to be living upon. The main problem, of course, if you depend on it almost entirely, when the crop fails and that can cause major problems such as the famine. Um, But after the famine, people's diets begin to diversify and they begin to eat and drink a wide range of foodstuffs and substances. Um, But of course, more variety doesn't necessarily mean more nutritional quality. Particularly from the 1870s, there's a deep economic depression which sets in across the world and this causes widespread poverty and distress across Ireland. Belfast is relatively shielded by its industrial success, but economic decline threatened to worsen Belfast's problems. Of course, economic depression placed demands on budgeting, nutritional health and the basic ability of families to go out and buy food. So there's a period from around the 1870s and well into the 20th century that diet and nutrition are major social concerns. But even in the 1860s, which was a much wealthier period, a local doctor, Henry McCormick, had warned that the city's working classes were no longer eating nutritious diets of potatoes and bread and stews and milk. Instead, they seemed to be depending a lot upon servings of tea and white bread as well. So as the Freeman's Journal's letter suggests, discussion of working class nutritional problems begin to coalesce around a particular problem, which is excessive tea drinking. When did tea first become popular in Ireland? Tea had once been a luxury item enjoyed mainly by the middle and upper classes, largely due to its expense. But from around the 1850s, the cost of tea lowered significantly. This is partly due to imperial investments in India's tea trade. And consumption levels begin to rise rapidly, particularly from the 1860s across Ireland and also Britain as well. In Belfast, this was accompanied by the expansion of large city bakeries, which begin to produce cheap but less nutritious white bread. In 1868, one doctor, John Moore, observed mill workers consuming a substance 
to quote him, which can hardly be called tea, infused frequently from the evening before, allowed to remain all night in metallic vessels, warmed up again, not only for breakfast, but for the midday meal, it becomes at last to resemble tobacco water more than anything else. And with much disappointment, nearly 40 years later, the Belfast Health Commission reports on mill workers still contenting themselves only with tea and butter. And that's even in places like the York Street Spinning Company, which actually had a canteen, which was serving wholesome, nourishing food. By that stage, medical concern had turned towards the strength of the workers' tea, not so much its watery weakness. Working class families tended to leave tea stewing on the stove all day long, producing a thick, strong substance which contained high tannic acid levels. And the British Medical Journal warned that indigestion is unknown amongst tea drinkers in the East and is in all probability the result of our defective use of So here the, the journal is saying that tea itself isn't the problem, but the ways in which people, and particularly working class people, are preparing it. Also, caffeine as well is described as potentially addictive from around this time. Why did psychiatrists believe that tea caused mental health problems? Victorian psychiatrists believed that women's supposedly delicate and emotional nature made them susceptible to mental illnesses or insanity, was the term used in the 19th century. So tea drinking wasn't thought to cause mental health decline directly, but the chronic dyspepsia caused by the stomach's nervous excitement was thought to affect mental functioning, and this paved the way for psychiatric problems. So by the 1890s, some leading psychiatrists invented new terms such as tea drunkards and tea mania, and, and the symptoms of tea mania included headache, vertigo, insomnia, heart palpitations, mental confusion, nightmares, hallucinations, morbid depression of spirits, and suicidal feelings. In 1872, the Freeman's Journal reported on a 32-year-old Belfast domestic servant who had previously been very healthy by all accounts, but she'd got herself into a state of great weakness and began suffering from laughing and crying fits. And she tried to conceal the problem. She didn't want to lose her job, but one day collapsed and had several hysterics. And the medical examination concluded that she had become hopelessly addicted to tea and now cared for little else in life other than securing tea. In the 1890s, Dublin Castle ordered an inquiry into rising asylum admissions. Did tea figure prominently in this? Well, yes, even the officials of Dublin Castle um, began to, to blame tea for the problem of rising asylum emissions across the island at the time. Uh, emigration was in fact causing a rapid population decline across all of Ireland in the post-famine period. So you would have thought that asylum emissions would decline in line with the declining population, but that wasn't the case. The population kept on getting lower but the asylums kept on filling up so this made the problem of rising asylum admissions seem all the more curious the lunacy inspectors as they were known george plunkett or farrell and mazia courtenay blamed rising admissions on the inability of many families to purchase nutritious food combined with the mental anxiety caused by economic downturn or farrell and courtenay believed that this had produced what they termed the insanity of malnutrition across the island all, it's almost all asylum superintendents who were interviewed blamed poor nutrition and specifically over-reliance on tea for the rise in admissions. One psychiatrist, Thomas Drapes, wrote, We see tea's effect in the number of pale-faced children who were brought up in it instead of the old time-honoured but now nearly abandoned porridge and milk. I think there's a broader anxiety being expressed here about the decline in the nutritional quality of the Irish diet after the famine. Specifically commenting on, on Belfast, O'Farrell and Courtney acknowledged that actually the city's population had in fact expanded. So unlike most other areas uh, of Ireland, 
it might be expected that asylum emissions would rise, but they still singled out problems such as alcohol excess, insufficient or unsuitable dietary, especially amongst factory workers, and the excessive consumption of tea are now so common amongst the working classes. Why was excessive tea drinking seen as immoral? Well, yes, um, excessive tea drinking was discussed not just as a health problem, but also one of morals. There is a situation here where the temperance movement had been very effective in the late 19th century at campaigning against the consumption of strong alcoholic spirits, and it had been particularly successful in Ulster. But now doctors began to fear that tea, which had long been upheld as a, as a suitable alternative to alcohol, might be just as dangerous and pernicious. Now, doctors viewed tea as a nervous stimulant, which is why they began to view excessive tea drinking as a potentially immoral activity. When consumed excessively, they feared it caused mental excitability and overstimulation. So in essence, doctors criticised poor working class women for using tea almost like a drug and prioritising mental acceleration and sensory stimulation above their nutritional health. They accused working class women of lacking knowledge of how to correctly make tea and recklessly succumbing to addiction. Of course, the civilised middle classes entrusted themselves to drink moderately and sensibly in polite settings, such as tea parties. So this really is a very class-driven narrative here. The Belfast Newsletter in 1887, just to give you an example, uh, wrote, tea and coffee offer the opportunity for abuse, an opportunity quite often availed of. The devotees drink for the mere love of them more than they are. And the article continued by melodramatically describing hospital waiting rooms filled up with people with stomach problems suffering the consequence of their tea addiction. And it describes the TLS housewife. You may notice here, of course, that it's always a housewife who's to blame and not so much the male member of the household. But the new letter describes her gradually losing her habit, coming to loathe food, actually just depending upon tea, which she becomes addicted to. And, and Royal Victoria Hospital Dr. John Alexander Lindsay also complains to the Belfast Natural History and Philosophical Society in 1882 that the national physique was deteriorating because the working classes had decadently substituted um, milk for tea. Do you believe that this was true? No, I believe that these perspectives which doctors were putting forward really failed to acknowledge, well, first of all, that milk was often adulterated, watered down, infected with tuberculosis, or simply too costly. In reality, for the most part, tea consumption was often a necessity and not so much a choice. The moralising attitudes of doctors really failed to get to grips with the bleak working class realities. In times of need, many working class mothers would make hard decisions to go without and economise. She would serve nutritious food to her other household members, believing that fathers needed strength for the workplace and the young needed food and nutrition to ensure their healthy physical growth. So many mothers sacrificed their own health using tea, perhaps to suppress appetite and quell hunger. So that's a very different approach to recklessly seeking hedonistic pleasure, as the doctors were claiming at the time. Using today's terminology, we might consider these women as navigating food poverty. Uh, of course, in reality, the, the middle classes did encourage working class mothers to, to stop wasting the money on, on tea, of course. But of course, the broader problem here was that there was social and economic problems such as lack of money, low wages, poor housing, persistent public health problems, which got in the way of full nutritional health for working class families at the time. Ian, thank you so much for your time and for sharing some very interesting research with us today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Epidemic Belfast. For more information and to read articles related to today's episode, 
as well as other ones in the series, you can visit our website www.epidemic-belfast.com.